episode 105, Fried Squirms, is here in your ear. Where's my beer? <laughs> Have no fear. Something King Lear? Fuck, I don't know. Anyway, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny D. This is Fried Squirms. We're here to talk about another horror movie with you. This week, it's Jacob's Ladder. Oh man, I'm so excited. But before we get there, how's your week? It's been pretty good, dude. Pretty laid back for the most part. Got some reading in. Been kind of lazy here and there. Got some bunch of naps in. <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, I feel yeah. that. Yeah, not too bad. Just pretty laid back for the most part, you know. So on that front, it's been pretty nice, I suppose. How about yourself, man? It's been good. It's been good. I, uh, yeah, no, pretty laid. Uh, okay, maybe not too laid back for the most part. Last week felt super fucking busy, being like Valentine's and all that yeah, other shit. I had to get some shit done, but no, overall good. I can't help but feel that, like, I kind of wish we would just set up the fucking Test Your Fright guys for this week, because I'm super excited to see how they do with the next two movies. But we'll get to that soon enough. That's next week. That's another exciting bit of news. I ended up being really glad that I watched this movie (laughs) uh, as well. Instead, I don't know. Because this is also instead of the other plans we were trying to set up with Hereditary. Exactly. So this is a nice little fallback for us. But God, what a good fallback. Got all caught up on Jacob's Ladder. I don't know. Otherwise, like, yeah, I, I was telling you just a little bit ago, yesterday I went and saw Alita Battle Angel. I got to remind myself that's the name of the movie because I keep wanting to go Battle Angel Alita. <laughs> Lolita. Because <laughs> no, I fucking love me the manga. And nice, so dude. I'm super excited to finally see it come to life. I didn't mention this part of it already, but it sets up for a sequel, Nice. which some people are like, oh, right now it's failing. It's not going to get it. It's probably going to at least make back its budget domestically, but it hasn't opened in Japan or China yet. So we're probably going to get a sequel because it's going to make money now since those two markets haven't even been. And it's probably going to make a decent chunk. For the most part, I don't know how, like, American adaptations of animes and mangas have went over in the past over there, because I don't think, like, Ghost in the Shell movie did very good over there. No, not considering. But I don't, it also didn't do very well over here, whereas Alita looks like it's at least going to break even over here. Well, I mean, break that's good even, news. Even not mean. counting marketing and advertising and shit, so. Yeah. Well. Break even as far as production budget goes. This is one we've talked to about that uh, it's rooted in manga, it's rooted in the anime, and I feel like it probably has a, a nice little following over in Asia. I hope so. It's an amazing story. The movie, I thought, was really well done. There's things you can pick apart at it if you want. It does feel kind of surface level, and it is kind of just a straight adaptation rather than trying to elevate the source material in any way. But that being said, like... It was an amazing world. They brought me way in. I kind of felt like I was there. The fucking motorball was dope. (laughs) The action was pretty fucking dope. The CG was amazing, considering Alita in the movie is like a purely CG character. And she looked fantastic. Awesome. It has a fucking hell of a cast that we were just talking about. No kidding, right? Mahershala Ali, Christoph Waltz. Rosa Salazar is Alita, who doesn't have as many credits as those two guys, but... It's okay, um, she's working on it, though. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. I will say Ed Norton shows up for Ooh, about 10 seconds. I'm a fan. Michelle Rodriguez is in it for about 10 seconds. Yeah. Jackie Earl Haley. Like, there's some good fuck Ed Screen, I kind of really like... Scrine, I don't know how to say his last yeah. name, but he did a really good job. Like, nice. 
I really enjoyed it. I'm super glad they did it. I hope that my prediction is right, that we will get the sequel that it sets up so that we actually get a true finish to this story. But even if we never get it, it's still pretty well contained. Like, you don't have to finish the rest of the story, but it does leave you with questions. A little ambiguity. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's good. I like when it does leave itself open. Maybe more than just a little bit ambiguity, but it's still a satisfying story all in itself. Well, good. If not a little bittersweet by the end, but that's okay. Well, that's good. It's always nice when you can leave a little bit of that room just in case you do want to go back to it. So, I will say, being a fan of the original IP, I do have to say there are a couple things that if I really wanted to nitpick, I could get down on it. But I just really enjoyed being in that world. So, yeah, sometimes you just lose yourself in it, have fun. And I guess there is one thing I saw somebody bring up online where if they go a certain way with it in the sequel it won't make me too happy and it's kind of what they've hinted at in this uh, one but yeah um we'll see time it, it also depends yeah time will tell so well cool dude yeah outside of that we did do a little bit of reshooting yesterday with oh, yeah, Jafar. a little bit so more Jafar fun. got done we got to see some fun. of the editing process too which is neat super neat patrick made it look hella easy i know like what the fuck dude <laughs> There's no way, man. But, I mean, he went to school for it, and it shows, like, in the finished product, too. So when people ask, you know, when's it coming out, I was like, look, just let the man do his work. There's a lot of shit to do. Yeah, let him do his work. I don't know how he does it as fast as he does to begin with, so. Well, I think it's one of those things, too. I talked with Jordan about this a little bit yesterday is, you know, when you're involved with a project that you care about, and it's not somebody else's, you know, it's not like an outside influence, it's everybody's involved, you know. And for him, too, it's like I think he likes that creative freedom. And we've been giving him so many ideas for future episodes. And it's just one of those things that it's talked about a lot amongst our little circle of friends. You know, so it's really cool. Point being is, is I think there's... Oh, there's like 2,000 episodes that will never make it to screen <laughs> that we've just riffed on. Oh because it was just a joke thrown out and then we moved on and never wrote yeah. anything down. Like. But still, it's, it just goes to show that there's ideas churning, you know, in all of us. So what I'm getting at is it's a creative outlet. I know he enjoys being a part of it because we'll get to see a little bit more of him in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, we get to see, like, some of the uh, the process he goes through. And I can see he enjoys it, you know. Fuck yeah. So uh, I'm happy. If he's happy, it, you know, I'm happy. And if you guys are happy, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. I know he's happy we're doing this movie. Yeah, I know. So, right? Yeah, maybe we should talk some about Jacob's Ladder. What do you say? Yeah, I guess... Or do you have a little news for I us? I do have a couple okay. of bits of news, because I don't think we got to share much of it last week. But some of the bits of news that I saw that was actually, you know, pertains to the show. It's kind of interesting. I guess some really cool tidbits along the way. So I'll start off with the movie Funny Games and Blue Velvet. They're both joining the Criterion Film Collection in May. So for those who are looking to get a copy of it, you can get Funny Games on May the 14th and Blue Velvet on May 28th. Now, Funny Games, I enjoy the Austrian version of it, which is kind of ironic, I guess, or I don't know how you want to look at it because it's the same director. He did the one with Michael Pitt and Naomi Watts. So it was the remake of his own film, and he was a director (laughs) of that film. But there are slight variances and there's reasons why I like the Austrian. But I'd say still check it out. It's a great film. Blue Velvet, David Lynch, can't go wrong. Great cast. 
awesome movie, fucking weird. <laughs> so check them out, Blu-ray, Criterion. Nice. So the next thing I saw is a film that we've covered because one of the actors has actually joined the cast of Friday the 13th fan film. It's called 13 Fanboy. So that actor is Corey Feldman. The director is actually the new beginning star in the franchise. So this is back in 85, Deborah Voorhees. Says yes, that is her real name. She played the role of Tina in Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. The funding went into it. They had enough money made, and they're directing it. They've got some pretty cool little alumni, too. C.J. Graham from Jason Lives. He actually plays Voorhees in that one. You have Tom Matthews from Jason Lives as well. Judy Aronson from The Final Chapter, which is really cool. Tracy Savage from Part 3, and Ron Sloan from A New Beginning. So... You know, when you see a cast like that, it's probably not going to be a great film, but it'd still be fun for fans mm-hmm. of the franchise. So that was worth mentioning. Another film that we've covered recently, we actually showed it to some of our friends, is Terrifier. Oh, He's yeah. getting a sequel. I forgot we didn't get a chance to talk about that. No, I think we've mentioned it, maybe even briefly. And if we haven't, news is, is that Damien Leone has a completed screenplay, so... I'm excited about that. It's really cool because some of the concepts we talked about lends its hand to there being sequels. So we'll see what happens. A director we've covered several times, and that director is Takashi Miike. His film, Audition, is getting an Arrow video, and they're remastering it. I believe it's from the 2K version. So it's nearing its 20th anniversary. It's a film that I highly recommend. It's pretty wild. It's a slow burn. But the payoff is huge, and it's a director that we're very familiar with for several reasons on the show and outside of the show, so looking forward to that. I've seen the copy of it. I might actually get it. I have a a DVD copy of it, but it's time to upgrade, (laughs) all right? News pertaining back to this episode, actually, specifically, is because the writer of Jacob's Ladder, he has teased that because this film is getting a remake, there's no surprise there is that its twist isn't the same as the original. So I'm not going to go too much into detail because I still would kind of like to see it, but there's a huge twist in this film, and we'll get into that much later on. All right, so that was pretty exciting. And the last bit of news I have to share is because there's another director I think we're both fans of. There's a film coming up that we're going to review with these friends again, and one of his films, Green Inferno, was heavily inspired from that film. But it looks like, uh, yeah, he's set to make a new horror film for Miramax. Roth? Yeah, Eli. Yeah, and there has been news, like I've seen some fan news kicked around that he had ideas for a certain movie, and the people that worked on, I think, the screenplay for it, just behind the scenes kind of stuff, are also involved in this project. Mm. So, yeah, there's a heavy hand that there's potentially a Thanksgiving movie that he wants to do, and they think that might be it. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. Also, I just want to say that I really like Eli Roth. I do, too, he always, dude. He's just seems like a really cool guy. He's he knows his like, shit, too. He's a he's horror fan. super nerdy Family. horror fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. I mean, he he's but one of those he's directors. not super nerdy. Like you look at him, no. he does not look super nerdy. No, he kind he, looks he almost looks like a, like a jock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, good for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But the point being is, I also feel like he gets treated a little like Rob Zombie. Either you're a fan or you're not. I'm in the the boat where I am a fan yeah. of his. So yeah, dig yeah. the guy. Yeah. So what it's saying is that 
Jeff Randall actually helped with some of Roth's new movie stuff. So that's why people are thinking like this might be the Thanksgiving film. So yeah, okay. it's pretty exciting. But outside of that, I saw a trailer for the upcoming movie Ma. I believe it's a Blumhouse production. It looks bizarre, man. It's an interesting premise. Now I know. Okay, just while we're talking about yeah. trailers, I don't. I don't want to switch over too fast. Like, please finish what you're saying about that trailer first. No, it's okay. But I did see the trailer for it. I was like, that looks interesting. It has this weird twist in it, and you don't know exactly which direction it's going in. I've seen people kind of jokingly refer to it as "Get Out for White People." Mm. <laughs> so it's like, all right. We'll see, but yeah, it looks interesting, man. It's so a Blumhouse. I finally watched a trailer that I now I know that it aired during the Super Bowl, but I only like half paid attention to the Super Bowl this year because fuck that game. <laughs> yeah, it sucked, man. So you probably already saw the trailer, maybe not, but we didn't talk about it at all. But goddamn, Us looks amazing. Yeah, Us looks pretty wild. I did. I have seen a couple of trailers for that. Jesus, they had a trailer before Alita yesterday, and I hadn't got around to watching it yet, and that looks nuts. Yeah. I am going to be all about watching that movie. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. With the projects that he's doing now, and the fact that we've talked... Oh, that Twilight Zone trailer was that's dope, what I'm saying. Too. That That's going to be interesting, and... That commercial... That was the part of the Super Bowl that sucked me in the most, yeah. was that Twilight Zone commercial. I'm excited about that. He's now involved in all these projects that are horror and kind of social commentary driven, and it's perfect time for a reboot of yeah. that series anyway. I know that there's a lot of people that are decrying the fact... He's involved with Candyman, right? The yeah, Candyman sure remake. is. That's what I thought. There's a lot of people decrying them doing that as soon as it got announced. After seeing that trailer for us... Fuck it. Yes, please. Yeah. Give me the goddamn Jordan Peele Candyman like, right now. Yeah, give him a chance. You know, I know certain things, some people hold certain things in, you know, in esteem and they're sacred and what have you. But give people a chance, see what happens before you start knocking it down. You know? I'd say just the one thing, since he's still around and still active, make sure that Tony Todd is involved somehow. Somehow. That's yeah. the one thing I would ask. Like, only because he's still here, he's still active. He's still a really fucking good actor. He really is. I've seen him in some more recent films, too. I know we both have. With Death House. Yeah. And some of the Hatchet series, I've been watching mm -hmm. those, and he's good in that, too. So so just make sure he's still involved. Do right by him, which I don't know why you wouldn't, but who knows? You know what I mean? Exactly. But otherwise, yeah, I want Jordan Peele's Candyman yesterday. After only seeing the Us trailer. Like, we'll see what happens, man. It'll be interesting to see who gets cast and stuff like that mm -hmm. and how they're going to do the story and what have you, but I'm in. We'll see what happens. Cool. I didn't actually even bring any news <laughs> to the table. I just commented on your news, so. No, it's okay, dude. It's all relevant. It's all prevalent. So, yeah, that's some of the news that caught my eye and kind of the shit we've been up to. Outside from that, man, I'm really excited about talking about this movie today. Shit, yeah, me too. Let's get into some guts and bolts of Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, yeah. Guts and Bull. 
bolts. Got some bolts. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Shit, here we are. Got some bolts. Jacob's Ladder. All the people that went into making this, without spoilers, in any other minutia that just deals more with the people rather than the movie. Exactly. And we're trying to sell you a little bit on, like Watch you said, the, who's well, in it. Hey, that's the other thing. We like to try to sell you with this section of the show. Here's my first attempt. Go fucking watch this movie. God. Yeah. Highly recommended. Go watch Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> yeah, it's streaming no on Prime right now. Yeah, if you have Prime, is a perfect example of why you should be watching Prime. <laughs> okay, anyway. Do you have Prime? Then, Alexa, play Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> Do you have Alexa as well? It does all that shit, right? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Tell her what you want to watch. Yeah, and then you can come back and listen to us, but... In the meantime, we do like to give you a brief synopsis of what this film entails, so that way, in case that does entice you, you can start talking about the people who go into making the film. Oh yeah, synopsis? Let's see, spoiler-free synopsis would be a Vietnam War vet starts having troubling visions and hallucinations, and he needs to figure out what the fuck that's about, where they're coming from, what do they mean. Yes. Are they real? What's real? Who am I? Who am I? Yeah, it's really good. Actually, it's not so much who am I. No. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but still, it's it's pertinent. But anywho, good brief synopsis. What we like to do, of course, is get into the people who actually go into making the film. And today we have a really interesting director because he hasn't done a lot of films when you look throughout his careers. But the ones he has done, pretty people damn talk stellar. about. Yeah. Because he does deal with taboo subjects, and he's not afraid to push the envelope when it comes to those topics. So some of his early works include the film Foxes. has a really stellar cast. I've never seen Foxes. I haven't either. But after seeing the cast and what it was about, I was like, I'm kind of curious about that. And then in the 80s, he had done such films as Flashdance. Huge. Huge movie. Nine and a half weeks. Yeah, super sexy. Fatal Attraction. Exactly. What I thought was really interesting, there was a director who turned down the project because they said that they didn't think Michael Douglas was going to be a good leading actor in that film. And they have since recanted yeah, that. And no I believe it was shit. The Palma, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. It's like, wow, okay. So he has also done such films as Indecent Proposal. He did the Jeremy Irons Lolita. And another film i think a more recent film unfaithful and he's gone on to do some other projects as well but almost all of those films deals with some kind of sexual taboo sensual taboo which is really interesting now along with our director we have our writer on this is a really interesting person is bruce joel rubin and he has written screenplays for such films as the film ghost Patrick which Swayze. blew my fucking mind yeah i, I was like really the dude that wrote jacob's ladder wrote Ghost? Yeah. Some Swayze? Well. Some Swayze. All right. Crazy Swayze. Swayze fucking whoopee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I've seen that film a lot. He's also written the screenplay for the film Deep Impact, Stuart Little Part 2, The Time Traveler's Wife. He's done some other projects, but those are the ones that kind of caught my eye. Armageddon beat Deep Impact, right? I think so. Because that was the summer of the warring... Yeah, fucking yeah, asteroid movies. Kind of shit, yeah, I think yeah, Armageddon must have beat Deep Impact. I think you're right. I'm, I'm almost certain of it. I'm gonna, yeah, 
I'm looking it up right now. Sorry, I just remember summer of 98. I remember that all too well, that there was two asteroid hurtling to Earth movies. Yeah. And yeah, Armageddon fared better at the box office. Deep Impact grossed $349 million. Jesus Christ. People love disaster films. But Armageddon brought in $553 million. Well, they almost uh, made a billion dollars combined. Armageddon had almost double the budget, though. Wow. Still, fuck. Jesus. Yeah, almost a billion dollars off of fucking asteroid <laughs> movies in 1998. That's all we need. We need another asteroid film. <laughs> Our cinematographer on this, a very interesting gentleman, and that is Jeffrey L. Kimball. He has been the cinematographer on such films as The Legend of Billie Jean, which, that's a film I grew up watching a lot in the 80s. It has Helen Slater, Christian Slater, Yeardley Smith, and also has Peter Coyote, Killer Soundtrack. <laughs> it's a pretty decent film. Man. Hey, man, I just gotta say, Billie Jean's not my lover. No. <laughs> Interesting story, too, man, when you watch it. I mean, it's totally 80s, but really cool. Wait, bring up the next year, because the next thing he had. Oh, I mean, the next like films are coming up are knockout. So one of his huge ones that he was a DP on was Top Gun. It's like, hello. Beverly Hills Cop Part 2. Wow. The movie which, I mean, Curly Sue, which I have seen <laughs> several times. Another Christian Slater film, True Romance. That's a huge film. Mm-hmm. Really like that one a lot. He's also... Wild Things. Yeah, the DP on Wild Things, the film Stigmata. Oh, the things he got to see. Oh, some wild things. <laughs> Stigmata. Dude, we should cover Stigmata at some film. point. I watched that movie when it came out. Yeah. Probably, I mean, because it came out in the time period when I could get free movie rentals, I probably watched it like 20 times that nice. summer. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. He's also the DP on Mission Impossible Part 2. You might have seen his work in Star Trek Nemesis, the films Be Cool and The Expendables. Our editor on this, another really interesting gentleman, this is Tom Rolfe. Now, he's edited such films as Taxi Driver, the infamous one with Robert De Niro. You might have seen his works on the films Prophecy, War Games with Matthew Broderick. He was also the editor in Nine and a Half Weeks. The Great Outdoors. The Horse Whisperer. Yeah. The Pelican Brief. The film Dangerous Minds. Fucking a film I dig, Equilibrium. Yeah, and a huge film as well, if you like Val Kilmer and De Niro and all these guys. But he was also the yeah. editor in the film Heat. The music on this, huge name, Maurice Jarret, French gentleman. He has passed away. That was back in 2009. But when you look at his body of work, he's got over 170 credits to his name. He has composed such music for films as Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, the film Witness, the film Ghost. He's known, The Train? Yeah, he's known for composing music for films directed by Peter Weir, Adrian Lyne, the gentleman we're talking about today. He's just well-known across the boards. Bit of a ladies' man, too. He's married several times. Fucking Shogun? Wow. Yeah. Dude, I'm looking through his shit right now. And, oh my god, he did the score for Top Secret. That's pretty awesome. <gasps> That's dope. Beyond Thunderdome? Yeah. What? Enemy Mine? I love that movie. Dreams Solar Game. Babies? <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. The, <laughs> Mel Brooks produced Solar Babies? It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. But yeah. Gorillas in the Mist? Yeah, it's pretty awesome, dude. He's got some really cool film titles to his name. And the music for Jacob's Ladder is fucking awesome. 
Alright, our special effects team for this project was FX Smith. They helped with the special prosthetics effects in this film. Producer was Alan Marshall, and I did write down some of his credits because he was the producer for such films as Midnight Express. Don't cry, Billy. <laughs> you might have seen the film Pink Floyd, it's The Wall, and he also helped produce their video for Hey You, which is pretty dope. He was also the producer for Basic Instinct, Cliffhanger, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, and Hollow Man. <laughs> so it's like, that's pretty neat. All right, production companies for this were Carol Co. Pictures. Distributors were TriStar Pictures. They helped with the 1990 USA theatrical release. Release dates were October 29th, 1990. It had its premiere in Hollywood, California. And then statewide, November 2nd, 1990. The budget was an estimated $25 million. Opening weekend, it made $7.5 million. That was as of November the 4th of 1990. And it grossed domestically $26.1 million. Not great considering, but... I'm sure it's... I mean, we don't have any international numbers. I don't know what release was like for international yeah, in 1990. Either. You know what I mean? It probably wouldn't add it on too much more to be worldwide. I have a feeling this movie's made a bunch on home release. Oh, I'm almost certain of it. Like, <laughs> considering uh, it's almost 30 years old now. So, all right, I do have one tagline. It's pretty interesting. I don't think it gives too much away. So the tagline is: "The most frightening thing about Jacob Singer's nightmare is that he's not dreaming." Okay. It's like, oh, interesting. All right, so these are the people that went into making the film. We can talk about our cast because it's a really interesting cast. And actually, I'll start off because the lead actor in this is actually one of my favorite actors, and that is played by Tim Robbins. He is Jacob Singer in this film. I always think immediately of Andy Dufresne. Yeah. Because I think most people probably would. Shawshank. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about that film, Stephen King, it's one of the first ones you think of. Morgan Freeman. Great cast, great story. Now, if you look back in his catalog of films, he started off doing such films as The Sure Thing. He was also in Top Gun, briefly. Uh, Merlin. Here's one that I watched a lot in the 80s. He Howard said, the Duck. He said he only did it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that right? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> this is where it started making sense when I was thinking of like John Cusack. Mm -hmm. It's because of The Sure Thing, the film Tapeheads, which is really cool. He was in the film Bull Durham. Which, if you're any kind of baseball fan, Kevin Costner fan, Susan Sarandon fan, pretty good film. He was also in the film Cadillac Man's when I really like The Hudsucker Proxy, which has talked about the Shawshank Redemption. The film IQ, which I really like with Meg Ryan and Walter Matthau. Another great film. I really, Austin Powers, The Spy You Shagged nah, Me. Yeah, that's a funny, but the one I really dig is Arlington Road. Okay. That movie's fucking dope, dude. He's also done Mystic River. I dug High Fidelity. High Fidelity is awesome. Another John Cusack film we're talking about. He was also in Legend of Ron Burgundy. So, I mean, he's known for doing comedy, drama, a little bit of horror with this. But just really enjoy his works, man. He's also directed Dead Man Walking, which won Susan Sarandon an Oscar award, if I'm not mistaken. So, pretty interesting, man. All right, so moving on, I have Elizabeth Pena. She plays the role of Jessie, Jezebel Pipkin. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I looked at her career because she had some really cool films. You might have seen her in La Bamba. Right, 
That's what I would think of as La Bamba. So. Uh, such a sad story. Yeah. Rich. yeah. Our I, batteries not included. Yeah, I was like, we just talked about that, which is kind of funny. She was also in the films Lone Star. You might have seen her in Rush Hour. She was also in the film Down in the Valley, and she lent her voice in The Incredibles. And unfortunately, she did pass away. I think it was due to cirrhosis of the liver, which is sad. She also has a bit part in Gridlock. That's a good which film, Which is an dude. amazing movie. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while, but it's good. All right. I do have Danny Aiello, who plays the role of Louis in this film. I like him a lot. I always think, especially thanks to Jesse, if you're listening. <laughs> hey, Jesse. Hudson Hawk is being yeah. the other half of the robbery team to uh, Bruce Willis's Hudson Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Hudson Hawk is a pretty good film, man. Now, when you look at some of his films in his catalog... He's done such works as The Godfather Part Two. You might have seen him in Once Upon a Time in America. He was in the film Moonstruck. Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee's, is actually a really good film. He was also in Harlem Nights. You might have seen him in Leon the Professional and Lucky Number Slevin, which I thought was a pretty decent film. Next actor I have is Matt Craven. He plays the role of Michael Newman in this film, and he's been in some pretty cool films. He started off with such films as like Meatballs, Happy Birthday to Me, which is an early 1980s horror film. You might have seen him in other projects such as Blue Steel, <laughs> K2, which is really cool. He was in Crimson Tide as well. And then he's gone on to do a lot of television work as well. Which one was Michael Newman? He was the one who was the chemist. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, more recently he's done such projects as Justified. I know we've talked about several times. Television Resurrection. So, like I said, you might still see some of his works. Another actor we've actually talked about before because we spoke a little over three hours about this film. <laughs> but we have Pruitt Taylor Vince. He plays the role of Paul Gruniger in this film. Now, the film The Cell is the one we talked about for three hours because he played a doctor in that film. But I also think of things such as Identity. There was a film that I think you and I both watched recently. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before last, but Devil's Candy. Oh, he's right. also in that. So he's committed some really cool projects. I like him as an actor. I think he's done some comedies, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's also done Constantine. Mm-hmm. I think he was in Doctor Doolittle as an uncredited yeah. character, so stuff like that. Another huge name, because if you're any kind of fan of Seinfeld, yeah, you'll know who George Costanza is, because Jason Alexander is also in this film. He plays a lawyer. And that lawyer's name is Mr. Geary. Now, he's also done some, I mean, some interesting stuff. He was in Pretty Woman. He voiced a lot in, like, animations and stuff like that. But if I think about Jason Alexander, it's always going to be his George. Can't mm-hmm. help it. But I was like, yeah, he has a pretty decent part in this film. All right, the next actor I have is Patricia Callenberg. She plays the role of Sarah in this film. She has done some work in movies such as Signs. You might have seen her in the film Limitless and or the film Rabbit Hole. A couple of actors I've seen a lot of films of in the 80s, and I'll start off with this actor, and that's Eric LaSalle. He plays the character of Frank in this film. And there was a film I liked because of Don Cheadle. He plays Earl the Goat Manigault in that Mm -hmm. film, and he's actually in that film. As a junkie, it's kind of sad. Almost the same circumstances, Vietnam era. <laughs> but he was also in film I like, Coming to America. Yeah, he's great. Oh my God, the fucking Jerry Curl. Dude, let your soul glow. I got a funny story. I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent okay. here. So when I went and seen Radiohead, 
Right. For whatever reasons, we brought up that Soul Glow. I think part of the reason because there was a gentleman that was crossing the road that was wearing a suit that looked like a pimp suit. And that's, I think that's probably where we got the refrain from. So anyhow, we go inside the stadium. I had to take a leak. In the stall I went into, when I looked down at the toilet roll dispenser, it had a sticker that said Soul Glow on it uh, with the jerry curl. Oh, shit. And I just mentioned that like less than 15 minutes prior to that. It was fate. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Eric LaSalle because I'm a giant fan of ER, and he was Dr. Peter Benton for a shit ton of seasons. Yeah, dude. From like 94 to 2002, however many years that is. Eight years? Yeah. So, plus he showed up for like three episodes in like 2008 something like that that's pretty awesome yeah he was also in logan you might have seen him in one hour oh, yeah. photo I mean, he's a good actor i like him a lot this film doesn't really show off too much of his acting chops but just enough like he does a good job somebody yeah, most we... of these other characters other than tim robbins and elizabeth pena aren't in the movie yeah quite as that much no not really i mean there's Sarah probably has, she has a Patricia Clember probably yeah. has the next amount, most amount of time, followed by Danny Aiello. Yeah, when you stack it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is a two-hour film, too. But, but some yeah. of them are kind of like... Ving like Rhames, dude. Eric LaSalle, Ving Rhames. Like, they play pretty important parts as far as yeah, the setup they're not in story, it for story, but they're not in it for yeah. very long. It's just their characters that are important to the backstory and the setup. And Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, if you want to know a little bit more about Ving Rhames, we have talked about him because of the people under the stairs. And he's also Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. And he's in striptease. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, dude. Yeah, so go check it out, man. Some other actors I have because they're in it briefly, which I think is really neat. More or less cameos, aside from one of them. But the first one I do have is Louis Black. He plays Jacob's doctor in this. Wait, if you're also going to bring up Kyle Gass, then let's do it in the opposite order, because Kyle Gass appears... A little bit before. Like, not ten seconds, but just like a minute before. Yeah, it's like, I knew he was in it, and I was thinking, like, where the fuck is... And there's, oh, there he is. It's like, blinking, you'll miss it. And then Lewis Black appears. Yep. And then Macaulay Culkin... A very, very young Macaulay Culkin. Uncredited Macaulay Culkin. Which is weird. Why would he go uncredited? I have no... Why would he... Oh, actually, I think this was at a point in time when his father was Uh, very controlling controlling of his career. Yeah. Uh, Kit Macaulkin. Before he emancipated. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's probably why he's uncredited. Yeah, I can see that, unfortunately. But yeah, he's in this as Gabe. So yeah, that kind of rounds out... The cast that I have in this film, I mean, there's some other people too, but most of just little bit parts. We talked about the people went to making the film. We gave you a little bit of a synopsis. I guess we can give you some warnings too. There's some pretty good gore. And there are like some moments of gore. Weird, disturbing imagery. Yeah, totally. And it's weird, like, in that it fucks with you because they're like these just weird little flashes, and you're like, did I fucking see that? What did I see? <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of strobe lighting in this too. So if, if you're not comfortable with strobe lights or if, you know, you suffer from seizures or anything like that, you might want to avoid at least that scene. Nudity. Yeah, there's some nudity, a little bit of language here and there. Elizabeth Pena is topless, like, half her scenes. Yeah, and I'm not complaining. <laughs> trying to think what else. Just some tonal stuff. If you're not comfortable with war, probably won't be comfortable with this. 
it's a movie that sort of crawls under your skin a little bit, and you're like, what the fuck's going on? Am I going as crazy as Tim Robbins? <laughs> yeah. So if you're comfortable with all the above and you're curious. So what the fuck? Was that Kyle Gass? Oh, I guess it was. Yeah. I want to see like, oh, there's freaking Lewis Black. He looks totally young, but he still sounds the same. He's also not yelling. What the shit? I know. <laughs> yeah, so it's really cool. Some really good actors. Check this film out. Hell yeah. Now we're going to go and find out how it made us squeal so we can actually talk about the specifics of this goddamn movie. Oh God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir. Somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will come shock you. Come on. Ah! Sir. Come on, Sir, you must come listen on, to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? How did this make us squeal? Yay, we get to actually talk about Jacob's Ladder and not dance around the fact <laughs> that it ends with a fucking twist. Okay. I do this a lot with movies that have crazy twists at the end and bring it up first thing once we get to this section, but I do think it's a little bit relevant bringing it up in the fact with Jacob's Ladder, because I think it's almost to the point where it's a cultural touchstone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not quite there yet, but especially as this movie just continues to gain great word of mouth over the years, it seems that the Jacob's Ladder twist is becoming more and more and more known. I know what you're saying. Maybe not to the point of, like, the Sixth Sense twist being a cultural touchstone, yeah. or the fucking Vader being Luke's father twist. Yeah. But it's it does, almost there. You're right. It does have a certain mash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, without saying a whole lot, but I wonder, too, like, because of its spiritual significance, you know, if it will. And I have to say, I also, I've mentioned it in the past, I'm a huge fan of How Did This Get Made? Mm -hmm. And Jacob's Ladder scenarios are brought up quite often. It's a little bit of a running joke, so hmm. I might be a little bit biased in that regard. But That's okay. They do bring it up quite a bit. By the way, you remember that Genie movie with Shaq? <laughs> might be a Jacob's Ladder scenario. That's funny. Also, Con Air. Might be a Jacob's Ladder scenario. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show, you never know. <laughs> just, yeah, whatever. Anyway, okay, let's get into this movie. We'll talk more about the twist here in a minute, but I did want to bring it up just because I think it's almost there. Like, it's, I think it's almost something that's not a spoiler anymore, but... Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's right on the edge. <laughs> yeah, it teeters a lot, which I like that storytelling. All right, so probably a good way to lead off, perhaps, with this one because... I don't know if we watched this film at the same time. You know what I mean? As far as like when we had seen this film for the first time. I don't know if I've ever actually seen all this movie. I think I just knew what the twist was. I saw some of the nom sequences for sure before. Because I was just like, oh yeah, Ving Rhames and Eric LaSalle and Nom. Yeah. I've seen this. Why not? <laughs> but I realized if I have seen it, yeah. it's been since the 90s. Yeah, I don't even think I'd seen it back then. I know for sure because I bought a copy of it in the early 2000s. 
and you know, sitting down watching it, I was like, man. Did it, they ever do a TV edit of this? Because if they ever did a TV probably. edit of it, I probably saw it on like TBS late night in like '97 or something. But I see, even then, I wouldn't have remembered. Not quite like when I first recollect seeing it all the way through. Yeah, it just it instantly for me came like one of my favorite films across genres. So this actually, like yesterday, I'd say is the first time I've ever officially seen it. Good. I think, so you'll have a, but in a way a nice that like I'll remember it. <laughs> well, cool. In any, you know what I mean. So that's the thing, though. Like I knew what the twist was. So from the get go, even my first watch, I was able to analyze it from the viewpoint of like, okay, what's giving it away? Exactly. What's leading up to this point? Mm-hmm. The twist, which I like dissecting too. There's a lot of things that if you pay attention to it and i think about that too it's the upper hand i have now is because we review these films so often is that we're looking for stuff like that whereas as a casual viewer i'm not picking up on a lot of those cues like i'm i am picking up on certain things but i don't know if they have the same relevance now if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. yeah so now i can kind of see it in the grander scheme i suppose like I can see how the writer was directing us towards that and how the director was using certain angle shots to get to give you certain perspective of what's happening in the film. So that's, that's mean, what I enjoy. The movie is all either foreshadowing or analogy. Oh, yeah. If you know what the twist is. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of things in this film that kind of spell it out. And, and it helps, too. Like, after you see it the first time, you can go back through and like, oh, okay, yeah. So, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I ever had a true, pure first viewing of this film, I guess. Other than that viewing back in nineteen in the 90s that I can't remember. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That I may never have finished. I might have seen like that opening five minutes and fucking switched the channel. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, understandable. Like, that being said, still a fantastic movie. There was still a lot of moments that they built it up in a way where I was like, I'm still not quite sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think the ending still leaves... Even though it gets spelled out in the end, I think it still is open to at least a small bit of interpretation. I think, I guess we'll just get to that as we run through the movie. Yeah, yeah. But I guess what I just want to start off with is, do you think he was jerking it in the bushes in Vietnam? <laughs> uh, he, was, he neither confirmed nor denied. I think he was probably just taking a shit like the other guy said. Yeah. Like, you shit a lot. But, you know, maybe. Maybe he was jerking it. There's some truth to that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, hmm, I wonder if... We don't quite know how long he was there. Exactly. We pop in in the middle of it. <laughs> I just see him back there smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, a good shit is something to smile about. It but... is probably out in the jungle, too. It's like, phew, it's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few pleasures I get out here. Yeah, Nice exactly. good shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I did read, too, like, in a between little that... A bit of strong weed. <laughs> In between that exchange that he has with Ving Rhames, they actually ad-lib that. So it was kind of fun. They make jokes about masturbating. (laughs) (laughs) But leading into that, too, you have this catastrophic event that happens that for the rest of the film, you keep getting flashbacks to. So you get different ideas of what happened or may have happened, which I like, too. Because that sets up a lot of stuff as well in this film. Let me see. The very first thing that I was like, oh shit, well, here's a giant piece of foreshadowing, and they kind of fucking (laughs) focus straight in on it, is the fucking hell sign in the subway. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Like I said, if you know what to look for. 
I mean, I had to write, I'm really curious if how much that stands out to somebody who doesn't know the twist. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm sure it stands out, especially with the way it was presented. But if they understand immediately, like, <laughs> that they're saying hell because of the situation he's currently in, or they're just saying hell because it's a horror movie. Yeah, I, exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. Are you actually reading into what's happening to this person? Now, I thought the more interesting part is because we eventually have the whole government testing drugs aspect thrown in. It's not just a sign about hell. It's about your life being hell on drugs, and it's an anti-drug ad. Yeah. And all of the subway ads are anti-drug ads. Exactly. You see things for ecstasy, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Like, And I wrote that down as too. Is like One of the first things you see as well is the book that he's holding. Uh, is, the Stranger, yeah, Camus. Yeah, by, by Camus. Which, interesting too, because that kind of gives you an insight philosophically of what he's actually dealing with coming back. So yeah, that has a really cool significance. The fact that, like you said, you have all these anti-drug ads. And but it also, <laughs> it can also be read on an easier surface level if you're not looking into it mm-hmm. as not what the stranger is about and his own journey. Right. But instead of the fact that he's a philosophy graduate <laughs> yeah, and he's reading Camus, which is just ingrained with the character. Exactly. Which is cool. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can read off which of it, that. That's the thing, too. You're like, okay, then which is it? Yeah. If you're thinking too hard about it, they still give you outs. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, maybe I am just thinking too hard about it. And that's what confuses the situation more, which is awesome. That's why this movie is so good. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. Because this film has so many things going on within the frame of him being in New York and Brooklyn and, and coming back from Vietnam and dealing with all this stuff so if you haven't seen it like if you haven't seen it okay we're still dancing around it a little bit let's talk let's mention the spoiler just so that we can stop dancing around it (laughs) all right we've waited enough time at this point they're like 50 minutes into the podcast so so. this movie never happens no right this is a journey into the psyche of a man dying and holding on to his mortality yeah, the he's process. holding on to his mortality, but he is dying out the entire time. Yeah. None of this has happened. This is all a life that he might have led or maybe not have led. Yeah, it's it all just, just a his big brain allegory. making it up yeah, exactly. to, to help him cope with the fact that he's dying, basically. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting listening to some of the comments that the writer was making and the director were making. And, and it's not just one life. No. It's like... It keeps, like, incepting, basically. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, which is... I thought that was a really unique way of telling of, like, a very dire situation, right? (laughs) You're essentially coming from being bayoneted by your own platoon member, Mm -hmm. mate, and uh, in that time period, you have all this fucking tragedy happening around you, and you're, like, trying to figure out how the fuck, or why the fuck am I dying while these dots are playing out, your memories are playing out, and... You can build this whole fantastical world out of it, and none of it can be true. (laughs) The other thing I kind of noticed is the movie truly plays out like only the things in the scenes are happening, and there's not any time in between. Yeah. And that's true. That's what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) It's really neat, man. I think some of the things that stood out to me when I was thinking about 
the significance of certain scenes that repeat themselves. Like the car scene where he's being either run down by government agents or when he's getting into the car, you know, against his will and all that stuff. But also the significance of the fact that Gabe got hit by a car. Yeah. So even when the government agents are trying to run him down, the cars are always shown as being out of control. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, to me, that particular scene, that particular sequence of scenes spelled out that that was his way of rehashing and reliving and just re-manifesting in a different way of that accident. The movie does sort of spell it out in the end. And so it obviously didn't start happening prior, but in some way it still feels like this sequence of events and him dying is almost started when Gabe died. Yeah, it said Because uh, he was never able to truly get past yeah, that until his own death moment. That's pretty significant, too. When you think of the use of song in this film, a particular song in general, his relationship with Gabe, of course, the significance at the end and what it means, which I think that's another interesting way of spinning that tell, like... He's in Nam. His son had passed like two years prior, if that. So he's still grieving, and you're right. And now, and now he's not only grieving, but dealing with the fact that he's dying. Was he home when Gabe actually passed, or does he just imagine it like that? Or was he in Nam, and part of his guilt is that he wasn't even I mean, able to be there? That's a good point. Either way, it could be. I don't think it 100% spells it out. You see him pushing the bike, so it lets you know that they have that in common. But you don't know whether he was actually there when Gabe died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I keep saying it spells it out in the end, but it still leaves some things definitely yeah, open there to interpretation. Are some, exactly, exactly. Um, especially because there's a lot, like they make use of biblical names and ideas it's jacob's ladder because of the story of jacob and how that can be interpreted symbolically within this but then it's also jacob's ladder because the drug is the ladder ladder. yeah it's a whole different ball game okay yeah and yeah that's a whole different thing in and of itself it ties into the biblical thing kind of just by her name because you got they lampshaded that with (laughs) jesse and jezebel yeah exactly I'm going to go a little bit outside the movie, but I think part of the scene was actually shown in the trailer. But there's a deleted scene that was on the Blu-ray DVD that reveals that Jezebel is Jacob. Yeah, yeah, and they don't use it in the film. That was, yeah, in that last sequence, I guess, before his extension. So if we're thinking about all the different things that, you know, in this movie, this means this and this means this, then what does it mean in the beginning when Jezebel doesn't even like the sight of Sarah and Jacob tells her, well, you didn't marry her. Yeah. When she is him. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're saying. Some of the things I gleaned from that relationship he has with Jezebel in this film is that you can look into it a number of ways. You could say that maybe it was a relationship he had outside of the marriage or she was more or less like a fantasy of his and perhaps the women preceding Sarah, right? So she's just this fantasy woman of his, complete opposite of who Sarah is. So, okay, so I said she already ties into the biblical part, right? Because of Jezebel. Mm-hmm. I know that the original version of this script was a lot more explicitly biblical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Line was like, we can't do this because it's it's already it's gonna been done. be silly. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's been done a million times. So, if 
this situation that he's going through, even though it's called more of hell, according to Louis, mm-hmm. the situation would be more akin to purgatory. So would that make Jezebel a venial sin of lust against his soul that he has to work through first? I mean, perhaps, yeah. Because it does seem, as his story goes on, it's when his first level of being dead is the furthest from his family he can be. He's with this new woman. He doesn't even see his kid when he drops by with the memories. And as the story goes on, he becomes closer to his family. So is she just his venial lust? I mean, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. I think with that, too, because there's that room for, you know, for openness and for interpretation and things like that. The only thing that I could think of as I'm watching the film with his relationship with her, it's more carnal. It's more lustful. You know what I mean? And that's why she's probably nude for most of this film, too. It's because the character of Jezebel, I guess in mythology and biblical terms and stuff like that, is she like leads false prophets, and she's known as kind of like a heathen. And when you hear the name Jezebel, it usually means it's a woman who's kind of morally corrupt. Could she also be kind of his ego and narcissism? I think so. Especially since he's essentially fucking himself. (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) So I'm getting it because you're dealing with this man's his psyche and some of these ideas or thoughts are manifesting and playing themselves out. But at the same time, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> Those relationships that you would imagine. There was a lot of thoughts that came to... I mean, it's it's pretty profound. There's a lot of things you can think about. I almost wish we had even like two or three more people here to talk about yeah. what she could mean because it opens up a lot of... Especially when you're dealing with like psychology and delving into people's psychosis and stuff like that in this case. I, I don't know. She represents a lot of different things, I would imagine, for him. Lots of Jezebel boobies. Then it goes on. I didn't end up taking as many notes about this movie as I thought I would, especially mm-hmm. with everything that happens. Not that it wasn't interesting. It was just like, I don't even know what to write right here. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just like a lot in this movie because it, it all ties into what's going on and I can't write down everything that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff. The, the things that I wrote down that, that stood out to me, right? We've already kind of mentioned it. A lot of foreshadowing. And the things that stood out to me more than anything, I, I mentioned it a little bit, was the angles that you see of Jacob or Tim Robbins in this film, right? There's a lot of scenes with him on his back looking up. And that already tells me one thing, you know, going through the film that they're not doing that just by coincidence, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's typically what, I guess, this guy in in a prone position does. As he's dying, he's looking up and there's extension and he's dealing with that gap or the, the cross between mortality and death. So, yeah, that stood out a lot, too. And the significance it had every time you kind of came back to it, too. Him laying on his back so much did kind of remind me of... The way they play with the twist is one of the most genius things about this movie. Because the director pretty much uses what we as the audience have been trained by watching other movies to understand through cinema shorthand as flashbacks yeah and then they're not flashbacks but it still makes sense for what happened you don't get mad you're like but what you were showing me was flashbacks you're like oh there's no other way to show that i just didn't understand yeah i know you're saying that's definitely something that caught my eye too 
the significance of Louis too from that angle. I mean, you can't help notice like the halo surrounding him and you know, he's his guardian angel. He could be considered his saint. He's always there for him in those dire needs and it gives him the most profound line in the entire fucking film <laughs> dealing with his mortality. Yeah, the thing that basically summarizes the entire film, I think, and what he's dealing with. Now, here's my question. Is Louis, because this movie surmises that angels and demons are the same thing anyway, is Louis simply Lucifer? I mean, maybe. (laughs) Is Louis the devil? I don't really view him in that regard, but I mean, you can make arguments for it. And he's just kind of setting it straight, like, no, this is, we're here to get you on. And up until you realize what we're doing, it's hell. Yeah, while you're in this. And he's the one that's basically just trying to do it the right way. This is the job. He kind of ends up flexing his nuts, and it works. (laughs) Like, they stand down. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm just like, Louis, they're using other names very significantly. And so I'm like, the only thing that I can think of that would be close to Louis would be Lucifer. I can see that. Who was an angel. Yeah, the fallen angel. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean that's that's interesting too. The reason I say that is, in that last sequence, as he's going to get X-rays, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's like you can look at it from like Dante's Inferno, the Seven Layers of Hell, or what have you. Just the depths that he has to go through, and who's pulling him out and revealing to him what's happening. Like I said, Louis, I can see how you can see him in that particular light. It's interesting to note that when he's going to X-rays, his little journey through hell as it were it's basically everything that's just happened to him it's all the shit he's dealing with other than jezebel kind of who does appear at the very end of the sequence but that also muddies what she means yeah i think her appearance in that scene but you get the bike yeah you you definitely get that that's a big then you run into all the body parts which could conceivably simply be vietnam yeah for sure And then at the end of that sequence, he's injected with a drug, which is exactly what happened right before his death in Vietnam. Well, not injection, but... But yeah, I mean, that's quite arguably the the leading cause of his death. Mm -hmm. So it's quite literally just like, by the way, if you missed it all, here's his journey. Yeah, exactly. This is already what he's going through symbolically. Precisely, too. Some of the stuff that was cool about that was, I was talking about the angles, is... Mm -hmm. They talked about the effectiveness of the cart that's wheeling him through all that stuff. One of the wheels that heightened it so that way it, it can actually touch the ground. Oh, and do the... Yeah, it gave you this like uneasy feeling as he's going through that. And They talked about that. like That was just an idea to give you more of an effect of what he's going through in kind of the chaotic manner. We've talked a little bit about this because of our episode of Scanners and the effect of this particular drug on children and just the deformities because of it oh thalidomide yeah thalidomide so the director himself talked about for that sequence he was looking into like certain themes as well for the film and that stood out to him the thalidomide when he did the research and it started off as like a just like a sleeping pill and then they're like oh it's so safe that pregnant women can use it yeah no that didn't turn out good at all but anyhow, some of the imagery in that, those sequences in the hospitals, and particularly him going down into the x-ray room, has <laughs> played out. It's manifested in that. And it takes place pretty much from that same time period from people, I guess, that he would have grown up with as well. 
And it was so much creepier than when you find out that the original idea was to have more traditional Boschian demons. Yeah. That's like, I love Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah. But yeah, it would have spelled things out. Yeah, it would have spelled things out a lot, first off. There wouldn't have been such a weirdness about still not knowing if it was only the drug. Exactly. Because at a certain point in the movie, it might be only the drug and the government until you get to the end. Yeah, and he's dealing with his psychosis or whatever. <clears throat> but yeah, you're right. I think a tall tale sign, too, if you're paying attention, is how many times he's been told that he's dead he's or dead. dying. Yeah, he gets just fucking straight up told he's dead yeah. so many times. And I thought that was like, okay, <laughs> that's pretty, should be pretty obvious at this point what's happening. I did make mention of the song that is like a refrain in this film, specifically mm-hmm. because of its tied to his son Gabe. The song Sonny Boy by Al Jolson. It was written back in the 20s, right? So it's an old song, but if you look at the lyrics to it, it's right on the fucking nose about a guy dealing with his son dying and, you know, him thinking of better days, blue days, and yada yada. But I was like, that's a really cool device in this film too, if you're paying attention. So inception-y. It really is, Then it's what's playing at the end, on the radio. As soon as you hear it, and he's humming it, and throughout the film, it's like, oh, you know something's significant about to happen. So I I thought this was interesting. This is completely just jumps out of the narrative of the movie. But I saw this list of candidates of actors that they wanted to try to get to be Jacob Singer. i yeah. Alec Baldwin, much different movie. Oh, yeah, completely different film. Richard Gere. Yeah. I'm not against Richard Gere. Tom Hanks. Dustin Hoffman. Don Johnson. I did see that, too. That's weird. Al Pacino and Mickey Rourke, all considered for Robin's role for Jacob Singer. I read that Tom Hanks turned it down so he could do, was it Vanity of the Bonfire? Yep. And the director of that turned down this project so he could do that. That is funny. People considered for the Jezebel role? This is insane, too. I know one of them because she shops at our store. Oh, was she? Because she's not on this list. Yeah, she was. I read that. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, um, J-Lo. Yeah, I saw that. Which, 1990s J-Lo strutting around top us the entire movie? I'd be okay with that. I said Living Color Days. Yeah. Madonna. Yeah, I saw that. Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. And Julia Roberts. And apparently... Yeah, Andy McDowell. That's awesome. That's like, that oh. would have been crazy, too. Yeah, because, I mean, around that time period, she did uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. Right. So, you know... It would have been completely different films, though. It's like Elizabeth Pena was cast just right. She has a very infamous scene, too. I mean, it's one of those standout scenes on the dance floor. She's grinding. <laughs> oh, my God. Stuff. That party, I just had to write down my note, was like, I'm excited to see where this goes, but I really just hope that it turns into the reptile party from Fear and Loathing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'd be fucking awesome with it. See them showing up. That's funny. But, I mean, there was a tail involved. (laughs) There was. There was actually more than one time you get to see a tail involved, especially on the subway train. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was icky. For a second, I thought that was just a really veiny dick. Yeah. (laughs) You see it crawling back underneath the coat. (laughs) Nope. Wrong target. Yeah, so the, the dance sequence is really cool because, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of those early uses, too, of hooking up the camera to yourself and spinning around a room which is, you know, it got popularized later on as well. That's really cool. 
Well, okay, if we're going to talk about early uses, then there's something that so many horror movies use these days. Oh, for sure. That was for sure pioneered in this. Yeah. The fucking undercrank technique. It's really cool. It happens a couple times in this movie, but most famously in the uh, Descent into Hell sequence. Exactly. The, uh, the X-ray sequence. Yeah. You have the guy shaking his head, which you now see in like every other horror movie. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when you film a guy shaking his head at four frames a second and then speed it up to 24 frames a second. Exactly. And all of that was done in camera, the effects, Mm -hmm. too, which is pretty huge. It's like no outside special effects aside from practical effects and what you can do with the camera, which is really neat, man. And that's how you get that weird, unsettling, high-speed movement that seems to just jump all over the place that you see Jesus. You see a lot now. Even the new Pet Cemetery trailer does it to an extent. Music videos have done it several times over. It's just a really cool effect that you can pull off, and it's simple. (laughs) That's the undercrank. Thank you, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, so you get that. Thank you. (laughs) I I fucking dig that effect, by the way. It's really cool. The undercrank technique. I know somebody who thinks it's extremely played out. I think you know him, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But I always kind of really enjoy seeing it. It's something that I think is well, now you nightmarish. Know the godfather of it. Which is also something, too. I know we both probably looked at this information, but it goes back into the reason why it was used in the film in the first place. Because it's fucking nightmarish. Yeah, well, Adrian Lyne said that he was doing a lot of research on photographers and artists, some of them being like Francis Bacon. He talked about, uh, there was another photographer, Joel Peter Witkin, and you look at some of his photos and the effects that they were giving off too. He was inspired by Man With No Legs, <laughs> which lends its hand to that gentleman down there. There was another photographer too, lady, where she did a lot of that distorted kind of photography tricks. So uh, yeah, a lot of that. And then later on, it inspired video game. Such as Silent Hill. Silent Hill Hill (laughs) is heavily influenced by this movie. Yeah, you can't help but notice it. it. Yeah, and I believe the creators are, like, super upfront about that, too. Which I'm okay with. It's just really cool, because that's a fucking good game. (laughs) But yeah, it's stuff like that. I mean, just how art influences... uh, I don't know if we mentioned the Tibetan Book of the Dead. No, no, not yet. And the meditation there within. So that's another interesting thing, too, is because uh, the writer, he talked about... Some of his upbringing was very spiritually rooted, even though he's a Jewish gentleman. He studied Buddhism. And didn't he like live in a Buddhist temple for like yeah, two years, something I'm, like that? I'm almost certain of it. And when you read this this story, that particular story on death and which, the oh, ego and all that stuff. I believe lungs. Tony Jaa also did that, which explains Ong Bak 3, if anybody out there <laughs> has seen the entire Ong Bak trilogy and wondered why number three is so fucking weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you understand the influence and you understand the story and it's like, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense, which I thought was really cool, too. I know we've mentioned The Book of the Dead more than one time. This is no stranger to that either. It's just a little bit more on the, the spiritual bent, more so than on, like, the Lovecraftian Book of the Dead Necronomicon. But anyway, I thought that was really cool, understanding that and why it was used in this film, how it was incorporated. Even the refrain, they said it was a 14th century Christian mystic, Eckert. Oh, yep. Yeah, Meister. And it's like, that's pretty deep, too, when you think about the influence of just that simple quote and how it unravels the entire film. So, with that, 
I guess the ultimate question I had from the very end of this movie is through the lens of this movie, does it feel like experiences like this are a universal or is it only because he's dying while under the effects of this drug while having such a background in philosophy where that quote might have even just been embedded in his subconscious and he doesn't remember when he read it. That's a good point, too. Louis gives him, <laughs> well, he asks him, and then, of course, he reveals the line, but he asks me, he's like, what philosopher or what person who got their doctor doesn't know Eckert? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like, he's probably heard it before. Just so, yeah, where... so is this a universal, or yeah. is this only because... Pertains to him. This only pertains to him because of these extremely unique yeah. circumstances that he's dying under. I could probably say a little bit of both. Maybe some of the themes are more universal, but to him specifically, the things that get unfurled. Yeah, I think overall it's probably just pertains to him, but thematically it could be universal. Does it make him less scary if it only pertains to him? <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I can see that because it, you know, if it only affects him, then to be why completely am I honest, the end of this movie is really fucking uplifting anyway. It is. Uh, I mean, like it's sad because he dies, but yeah. I mean, it's this big touching moment yeah. where he gets to reunite with his son and gets led to fucking heaven. Which I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's touching. You know, I guess for people who want to believe in something outside of you know life, the mm-hmm. afterlife, it gives you some hope. You know, it's a touching story if nothing else. Because you're following a guy who's like struggling, if you know, not only with his death, but if you don't read into that part of it, just remove that aspect and you're trying to follow him from the time he's in Brooklyn all the way through. You're like, man, you're watching so many harrowing things. This guy's dealing with his son's death. His buddies are not only dying, but they're hallucinating and they don't know what the fuck happened to him. So it's just a, like, ugh, you feel so bad for him, <laughs> you know? But then, yeah, he's just dealing with all of that stuff, and he's letting it go, and then he passes. And you would hope he's with the son. Was it hard for you to not just instinctively laugh at Jason Alexander? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Especially when he's, like, chewing his, his ice and then spits it back in the cup. He's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I didn't even really like that show that much, but he was probably my favorite part on it, and so I was just like, oh, my God. I'll tell you right now, I'm not a huge Seinfeld fan yeah, at all. I'm not... I don't mind the show. I'm not a big Jerry Seinfeld fan. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Seinfeld fan, but I've seen more than a few episodes oh, just because of when it would come on TV yeah. back in the day and not having much else to watch and shit. It's a and, show about nothing. Yeah, and I think Chase and Alexander was probably always my favorite part, yeah. so I'm always kind of excited to see him. I was always partial to Jerry Stiller, too. <laughs> he always... He always kind of seems like he plays a version of the same character. Yeah. And it's hard not to laugh at that character, so. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, he does a pretty good job. I mean, for his limited role in this. I think Danny Aiello did a damn good job in his role. Yeah, As Louie. Like, god damn, he was good. This is one of those films, like, watching Tim Robbins in, it's like, man, he, he did a really good job. Emotional job, too, because there's times in this film, not only is he having to deal with emotional stuff, but actually has to physically portray it and you can see him coming about the tub all just just look he looks wrecked <laughs> oh we didn't mention what scene he was in before but him going into the tub and having oh, the ice man. poured on him is where you can find kyle gas yeah he's the guy yeah. that's more down by his feet and i was like damn there he is he's in it for like just a few scenes like a couple yeah. just a few scenes and he looks young 
Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, that is him. And my scenes, I mean, it's just like clips. Yeah, just clips. <laughs> just clips. Not full-on scenes. No, no, no. Like one scene, just a couple clips. Yeah. And and it's when he comes to the doctor as yeah. Lewis Black. And you're like, oh, shit, that, there's Lewis Black. But I mean, it's still kind of neat, too. But yeah, overall, oh, man. Other just bit of trivia, especially because I have heard that some people did notice this from the get-go, thanks to the wonder of the internet <laughs> and doing research and shit. You can figure out the drug part of the twist a lot earlier if you're a military history buff because they show enough of the bayonet in the beginning that punctures him to know that it's an American bayonet. Ah, uh, gotcha. Well, that's, yeah, if you're a history buff. So there you go. But that's also just that's like cool, credit to them being accurate. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of attention to detail in this film, for sure. I mean, when you have to weave a tell like this, you know... That just tells you, um, like, not only are they talking about life and death, they're also socially talking about Vietnam and the effects of drugs, hallucinogens, that it had on soldiers. And they're kind of going to come back and dealing with this shit. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing. And Tim Robbins may mention, he thinks that this film didn't gross more domestically or was a bigger box office hit because people were dealing with not only the stuff coming from the back end of Vietnam, but also going into the first Gulf War in 1990. So there's some mixed feelings about how people feel about our government and war in general and the effects it has when people do come back home or if they never come back home, just the effects it has in general. Yeah, and just showing how bad it can be Yeah, while your kids are being sent out probably didn't resonate well. He's probably at least a little bit correct about that. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> it's, it, it shows you the impact. So there's even a larger tale here than just, you know, life and death. Than just Kit Culkin being a <laughs> dick and not letting Macaulay's name be on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I will say this. One of the kids has one of the funniest lines in this entire film. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was so good. I was like, in the moment where you feel, like, so bad for him, and then the kid's like, hang in there, Dad. <laughs> Like, oh my god. That was so funny. Oh yeah, that was good. And that's just one of another one of those beats though that just brings you even more in emotionally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause now it's tugging at your funny bone. Now, okay. So I think especially <laughs> this many episodes in, it's impossible not to also think of other movies we've done. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to people being mistook for demons or angels, or truly being demons or angels. We have covered two others, and I did have to say that I think out of this, Frailty, and They Look Like People, I'm probably going to end up watching this one a lot more often than the other two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, man, this movie is so good. It, Even though they're all different. Yeah, no, no, they're all great in their they're, own They're all great. I like them all, and they're very much different. They are trying to do yeah. different things with people being demons. They're similar enough in that regard that I oh, can... this is that, far superior... I think this is the superior one. No doubt. It reminds me a little bit, now since we've, we have covered so many films, and we talked about it earlier, it was actually Candyman, like revisiting that and then seeing like how fucking good that film is mm -hmm. cinematically and just the storytelling and the acting. And I feel the same way with this film. Like it has such a clever story, just well acted, and man, it still holds weight. I mean, that's the reason we're still talking about it, you know? I feel like another 10, 20, 30 years from now is still going to be as significant in the overall theme of it. 
And it's weirdly felt more timeless than most other movies from the era, that same little era. Yeah, precisely. It didn't seem to have the same overall, I don't know, film quality or whatever. I don't know how this was shot. I don't know the specifics of all of that, but whatever they did made this movie feel older, but in a good way. Yeah, I know you because mean. Because, in my opinion, a lot of those <sighs> movies from the late 80s, early 90s, look-wise, haven't aged all that well. Right, right. It they have a like, certain aesthetic. They yeah. have a very certain aesthetic where it's like, the technology had improved to a point where we could clean up things just enough to notice how shitty other <laughs> things are done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it makes a lot of things look really fake. And this movie looked very real. Yeah, that probably had a lot to do with the fact that they weren't trying to do too much in frame. Mm-hmm. Just, they were getting really good location shots, and the effects were really good because it was in frame. So, yeah, I think that's probably why it holds up better. It is interesting, man. You get the right people, and there you go. <laughs> because it, it did take a while to get this film greenlit, too. There was a lot of directors who wanted to get on board. Oh, yeah, board. the script just sat around for a while. Yeah. But it was considered unfilmable for a while. and it had the right people on board. From what I understood, too, is like Paramount picked it up first, and Adrian Lyne and Ruben both didn't want to change the way they were filming certain things, dealing with all of this subject matter and they're like fuck it but they had filmed so much principal photography it's like carol cole came on board and financed the rest with the producers so mm. yeah i'm cool. glad they did yeah i also wonder if we're ever gonna get a more full cut because i know that scenes yeah. yeah i got cut out got cut out that were filmed because there's yeah. even scenes that are like in the trailer that didn't make it to the final movie yeah that happens i can see that perhaps I would imagine it would probably have to do with distribution rights and, you know, if someone's willing to relinquish it or give it over to a different company to put out. Actually, here, actually, I have a little list of some of the things that are missing. One of them it mentions is, is available on the DVD Blu-ray. It doesn't mention if any of these others are. If they are, and I'm just throwing out some shit that's already widely known because people have watched them, then I'm sorry. I'm just reading off a list. That's okay. But there was a scene where a disfigured man attacks Jacob with a knife. It was originally in the beginning where he's almost run over by the subway train. He goes into a men's room where he finds one man raping another while second one pulls a knife on him. And then he actually escapes from the subway. Yeah. There's another one where he's sitting in a mail van and he reads a book when he sees a bag of his mail start to move. In the scene, some homeless man was sleeping inside the van. When he takes him out of the van, he gives him some money. Yeah, fucking Santa Claus robbed him. A fuller version of Jacob and Jesse having a sex scene. Yeah. There's just an extra line from Frank talking with Jacob on the phone, which that doesn't seem all that interesting. No. There's a longer version of the hospital from hell scene. While he's on a gurney pushed through some hallway, he asks, where are you taking me? Where am I? Whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's okay. And the only other scenes versions are available of on the special edition. Although one of the scenes has cuts that weren't used because you can see alternate versions of the same scenes yeah. are used in the trailer and shit. So. But still, that's cool, man. Yeah, I think just overall rewatching this film and... You know, getting to see it much later on, because it's, it's probably been, man, not even joking, it's probably been 15 years or better since I've seen this film prior to reviewing it this weekend. So it was a nice way to revisit a film that, upon first, like, full watch, 
how much I appreciated the film, but now knowing like the actual texture to it and just inside it out, it makes me appreciate not only the time period it came out in, but the fact that we're still talking about it, mm-hmm. you know? Shit. Yeah. All I can say is fucking go watch this movie. Yeah. I'm say highly recommend it. So good. Two other movies maybe you should watch to get ready to join <laughs> us next week. Yeah next week we are wrapping up i don't know if they Maybe. demand a round three we can make come up with a round three yeah that's not a pro- that's not a problem so we are maybe wrapping up the test your fright challenge we'll see and we are subjecting those assholes that's right you guys are assholes for none of you really caring about macabre <laughs> it's okay it's a new benchmark talking to you quincy <laughs> that's funny <laughs> we're wrapping up with cannibal holocaust and martyrs We've been talking a little bit. We think, I mean, and we'll talk a little bit before next episode, but Cannibal Holocaust might be the tiebreaker, even though Martyrs comes last. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I'm interested in seeing how they react and if they can actually get through both of them. We're doing those back-to-back, too. It's going to be an afternoon of suffering for them. Yeah, that's going to be a harrowing day for all three of our contestants. And hopefully a gleeful one for us. Although I think it's gonna be, I can already see us. I'm gonna get way. Shit. I'm gonna get way more joy out of martyrs than Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, Holocaust is just it's rough. It's a rough watch. I did already rewatch it though. I I'm usually not this straight. far ahead of the game, but yeah. I was after. You're excited. I'm excited. I'm super excited. <laughs> well, that's good because I like I said I've got a copy of one of them. The other one's coming in the mail within the next day or so. You know what? Here's the easy thing about that. I'm glad you have a copy coming, but and we're not even getting paid by them, but I want to shout out the fact that Cannibal Holocaust is currently available for streaming on Shudder because yeah, that's how I watched yeah. it. No, I mean, Shudder, dude. I'm glad we do have a subscription to it because it makes you know things like what we're doing not only, well, say today, but in the past and in the future, man. It's great films, really cool documentaries, just across the boards, man, some really good horror films. And I discovered that when we did it with Sean, I bought Martyrs. I completely (laughs) forgot that I bought it, but it turns out that I bought it, so. Nice, dude. Hell yeah. Those are both going to be super easy to watch. Yeah, and not only that, they're going to be a nice quality on your TV. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Yeah. Dude. Good sound bar? Yeah, because before, when I watched Cannibal Holocaust, I watched it on, not even this monitor, my old monitor. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's been a hot minute ago. Yeah. The early days. That was the early days, so... When I watched it the other day, it was on my TV. Nice. Probably Ooh, really nice. It looked nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about watching, rewatching both of those. It wasn't as big of a difference as I saw with, like, House of a Thousand Corpses, though. Man. Yeah, I couldn't get over that. Like, yeah, and then... Jesus. We talked about it before, and none of them understand, because they hadn't watched it before. But no. It is Damn. absolutely worth watching House of a Thousand that Corpses on Blu-ray. really good. The colors pop so so much (laughs) yeah holy shit yeah it is just a wash in color compared to the dvd version unbelievable so yeah that's why it's going to be fun getting to watch these films and these better quality you know yeah i can see them squirm that's going to be fuck they're not gonna like it i hope not they're not gonna like it at all (laughs) this is where we finally this is where we come i was about to say this might be be the one where they finally come away like you guys fucking watch this shit for fun yeah what's wrong with you guys (laughs) i said oh it gets worse (laughs) stick around this whole 
You, you guys want to go for round three? Yeah, I know. We We're going to start you off with a Serbian film, and then it's going to get worse from there. Yeah, and it can completely get worse. Yeah, we know some of those films. We're just talking about some of that shit. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see whether or not it is a conclusion of sorts next week. And if they want to if they want to continue if, on. Because they were on. the ones that brought it up. Yeah. This isn't even us. They were the ones that brought up round three. I mean, I, we kind of warned them the last time. Like, you know, it can get progressively worse. It depends on how far you want to go with it. And we even kind of suck at making it progressively worse because macabre is way easier to get through than yeah. Terrifier. I mean, yeah, exactly. But there's still steps in, you know, certain directions mm-hmm. we're taking with that so we'll see it's still experimental as well that's as right they're our first group there are american guinea pigs <laughs> yeah they are <laughs> oh so, i had to do that because we could go that direction too to fuck with them very easy easy and there'd be a lot of tapping out really early <laughs> really I, we could go headless Guaranteed. yeah go headless there's a lot of films in we can go with i mean yeah. guarantee make them tap we're okay yeah we could go off on that for a long time we're going to do it next week with them, but not like that. <laughs> Go, please hit subscribe, however you're listening to us. That would be awesome. It would be super, super, super cool if you would go leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts or Apple whatever. If you're listening on iTunes, even if you're not listening on iTunes, like that gets us in the algorithm. You know what I mean? Everything's fucking algorithm-based these days. I don't have to explain what that means to you guys. <laughs> you out. all fucking know what the algorithm is. If you leave us a fucking review, it helps us get even more listeners, exactly. and that would be awesome. Because we love you guys. And we do. We, we hope, a long time. And we want to love more of you. It's up to you. We don't care how you feel about us as long as you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us know what you think, what we can do to improve, all that good stuff. You can email us. We have squirmcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on our friedsquirms.com. Yeah, friedsquirms.com. You have links to ways to listen to us. Latest episodes streaming down at the bottom. Links to the Instagram, to the Twitter, to the Facebook, all throughout the middle. All of our old episodes, the archive. Yeah. Check all of that out. Fucking, <laughs> God, it's it's so great what you can do with technology these days. We make it so easy for you. Please exactly. go hit it up. Wherever you can find your social media, you'll find us. So, yeah, in the meantime... And if you can't yet, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. We're working on it, but... We yeah. just suck at shit. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still getting it. But I enjoyed today's episode. I'm looking forward to the end of round two and then what the future holds. It might just be a whole new group. You never know. It might be you guys tell us that you've had enough with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms out. out.